welcome to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week isn't Gloomhaven. And my name is Mike Pullman, and my game of the week is not Fallout 76. Oh, are you actually playing it? No. Okay, because it's not your game of the week, right? I'm, I'm a little afraid of it, too. I'm, I'm about 75% uninterested and 25% really curious. I, I'm kind of curious to see the, uh, the flaming uh, garbage pile that it might be, but uh, I have not bought it. Yeah, I, I figure maybe we'll, we'll do better if we we'll, like, wait a year to see what happens and then try it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you weren't, we're not here to talk about dopey video games. You have done something that I think is a little crazy. Uh, I'm especially curious to know why you do it. Tell me, and this is your day job, right? Uh, so, no, my, my day job is I'm a software engineer. What? You can't have two things. Okay, so you're moonlighting as a board game store owner. I am. This is my attempt, the first step at uh, getting out of corporate America. Okay, well, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm not the least bit interested in talking about your job as a software oh, engineer. I'm not either. So. <laughs> Good. So uh, tell me about what, when and why did you open – actually, first, tell me what is the game store? So uh, we are a part of a franchise known as the Gaming Goat. Uh, most of the stores are located in the Midwest. Uh, we opened the first one in the Denver metro mm-hmm. uh, a little over a month ago. Is it, and is it actually called Gaming Goat? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay, so now the more important question: Why on earth would you do such a thing? So I, although you've kind of answered it by saying you're trying to get out of corporate America. Yeah, I've I've been doing the corporate thing for uh, over 20 years now, uh, and I've been uh, I've been kind of investigating various franchises uh, of different kinds, and then I came across this one that was a successful gaming board or uh, gaming store franchise, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of jumped in. But I looked at other options too. At one time, I was talking to Jimmy John's and some other options too. But What's Jimmy John's? I, in California, they, I don't know what that is. Oh, they make subs. Just a restaurant kind of thing. Okay. But uh, the, first, the first one I found that I was passionate about doing that I'd actually want to work there. Oh, right. So it was a product that you would be interested in. Like that was your criteria. Correct. Right, right. Now, when we say gaming, I don't even know if we've done – this is board games. Not, yes. Not, right. Board games, role-playing games, and of course, uh, trading card games. Now, I – so I, I use board games as a blanket term, even for games without boards, like games that are just cards. And I'm, I wonder if I would even do that with RPGs. But when a professional like you is talking about this stuff, do you guys not use board games that loosely? Um, I tend to say all three of those, but a lot of times I'm talking to people like accountants and stuff too who have no idea what I'm talking about. So I try to tend to clarify. But yeah, when people ask me, I just say I have a board game store. Right, because I guess an accountant might not understand that that whole crazy Magic the Gathering thing is a board game, right? Right, right. yep. Uh, so uh, is there a way to find your specific store online? Um, <clears throat> they're in the middle of redoing the corporate website. So right now the best time is just to type in Gaming Out Denver or Gaming Out Littleton, which is the suburb I'm in, into mm-hmm. Google, and you'll find it. And for maybe someone who lives in Denver, how would you describe roughly what where you are? Uh, we're in the Southwest Metro. Uh, like I said, in Littleton, we're actually a couple miles from the infamous Columbine High School, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people say, "Oh, wow, why would you build there?" Uh, one of the reasons <laughs> Columbine. One of the it's not Columbine like Columbine was, blew away and became a ghost town or anything after right. the shooting. Yeah. And yeah. one of the reasons Columbine was so infamous is because it's a fairly uh, affluent area, so it's good demographics for a store. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of very big high school right there. 
um, a lot of potential customers. Now you're 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 not in a mall, right? Like this is a, like a storefront on the street kind of thing. Uh, we're in a little strip mall, so okay. we're right next to a grocery store, and on the other side of us is a, a vet. Do you know the folks? Uh, do people like when you move into a new na- a new neighborhood and you meet your neighbors? Is that like that with running a store? Like who are your other store owners nearby? Uh, we've met all the ones kind of nearby. There's a, a hardware store a couple spots down that I've uh, run down, you know, where we get supplies. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little weirder for nearby game stores since they're competition, but I've met a couple of them too. <laughs> I, are, how close? Like, are there any that are close enough to actually be competition? Uh, the closest one is about three and a half, four miles away. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely competition. And they're, they're board games as well. Correct. They're mm-hmm. actually a board game slash uh, coffee shop, so they do a lot of business on coffee and snacks and stuff. So let's talk then about about what specifically you're doing to stand out or be unique. We have a place here in California called uh, I think it's like Gaming House that that is a cafe on what like you walk in and you're like in a bakery cafe kind of area, but you go farther back and there's all this open area with with lots of tables and shelves full of board games that you can rent and you pay like a $10 day pass or something to be able to use their library and their tables. And then they also want you to come over and buy coffee and and snacks and whatnot from their little bakery area. So that's their unique thing is they're kind of a bakery in front games and back. What is your unique uh, selling point? What are you doing to not just be a dusty area where there's a bunch of nerds uh, wandering amongst stacks of board games. So the uh, the franchise itself gives us the model of how to do the retail uh, guidance on um, how much to carry of each product, pricing levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes us stand out a lot from other stores is that we're very competitive with online pricing. Mm-hmm. So if someone walks in the store and sees a game that's cool, and they look it up on Amazon, it's going to be about the same price rather than typical game store of MSRP. Uh, and then you had mentioned your store does rentals of games. We actually have uh, about 125 demo games that are free to use for anyone to walk in. We oh. have six big tables. People can just grab it, walk in, grab a game, and play. Um, so we're trying to create a place people want to go, and then the business kind of comes along for the ride if they just want to hang out there. Does that happen often, that someone will look at a game and then show you, hey, this is only this is $5 cheaper on Amazon? Um, usually I hear people say, I look it up on Amazon and you guys are actually cheaper. Oh, geez. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So it's, it's, it's nice. And we do have a, a couple of rooms for rental. That's mostly for, uh, people play like D and D and role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we do that as a way to, to build, uh, people buying product because then the rental fee they get goes all the way back to store credit. So $10 an hour, but then after five hours, they have 50 bucks to spend. Uh, now you've been open for a month. Uh, opened October 20th, so a little over six weeks. Uh, how is the uh, back room? Do, like, are people using the back room? Yeah. Is that a uh, tough sell? Um, it, initially, it was a little slow, but now we have several regular groups that have it ongoing every week indefinitely. So, mm-hmm. What are they doing back there? Do you have any way of knowing? Uh, I have uh, cameras, so yes. <laughs> Do you really? Wait, you have cameras on, in that room? Uh, yep. The two, we have two is that like an rooms. insurance thing or um, just to make sure that nothing's going on. That shouldn't, There's nobody back know. there like meeting with Russian ambassadors or anything. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm more worried about people trying to sneak uh, alcohol in, which we don't have a license for. Oh, okay. Right. Has that happened? Um, 
one group came in on Thanksgiving weekend that was intoxicated to start with, but they didn't bring any in, so that was a little interesting. But... Did you have to be the bad dad and turn them away or anything, or you just let them be tipsy and play their game in the room? I actually wasn't there that day, but uh, <laughs> one of my employees had to deal with it a little bit, but it wasn't too bad. Okay. Uh, well, on that note, what is uh, obviously opening this up and ramping up and, and getting the, the place built and bringing in the inventory, you must have prepared for lots of possible things. What is something that has happened that you didn't expect or that, that really surprised you? Uh, well, the first week trying to uh, get enough inventory to open the store. We had some distribution issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the CEO of the franchise actually pulled off some heroics to get us what we needed. Um, so he's in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And when it became clear we might not get everything we needed for our shelves, he rented a truck and basically gutted his own store to bring supply over to the new one in Denver. And he was doing this all while fighting the flu. That and is then, really cool of him. Wow. What's his name? His name's Jeff. And yeah. there's a there's a and there's more. So he did that, and then it turned out that another shipment from the same uh, distribution channel uh, still wasn't coming. So then he hopped on a plane to Dallas <laughs> and rented a car there and brought the rest of it. So he did two 12-hour drives in two days just to make sure we were stocked for opening. That awesome. That yeah, that's either crazy above and beyond Call of Duty, or the guy is so bored and has nothing to do with his life that he can do that. I'm guessing it's the, the former and not it the is, latter. It's definitely the former. He just wanted to make sure we had, you know, a, a great opening when we did. So yeah, there were some, some heroics on his part going That's through. insane. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the history of gaming, Goat? Like, this is the CEO, is he the guy that founded it? Yeah, uh, he's from the Chicago area, so the name is actually based on the Chicago Cubs Goat Curse kind of thing. What? I don't even know. I don't know sports stuff, yeah. so what is that? What? Why is it called Gaming Goat? What? So... I'm not a big sports guy either, but um, uh, the Cubs, when they lost the World Series forever ago, there was something about a goat and a curse, and it comes from that. I don't even know the whole story. Uh, but that sounds, is... It sounds vaguely satanic, Mike. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking they sacrificed a goat in a satanic ritual or something. All right. So from that, the name Gaming Goat. All right. Interesting. All right. <laughs> so uh, most of the stores are in the Chicago area. Uh, there's some in Minneapolis, uh, a couple down in Texas. And then he he is in Vegas now and is starting several stores up there. So mm -hmm. there's about um, 35 stores, uh, but there's been several opening just in the last month. So it's growing very quickly. Good. Uh, I, with, have the, I have the first one in the Denver area, or the, even in Colorado, actually. Has he actually started any in Vegas? Uh, yeah, he has okay. uh, two so far in Vegas. So Vegas. you're not the farthest west then? No. Okay. Uh, so... Um, what uh what type of people come into the store? Uh, have you come to know any of them? Uh, tell me what the day-to-day -day operations are like and who you're who you deal with. Um, it's kind of a variety of customers. This time of year, uh, we definitely get in people looking for gifts, uh, but usually they come with a list. You know, do you have this, this, this? And I say yes, yes, yes. Because they're buying for someone else and they have no clue what the stuff is on the list. Correct. Uh -huh. <laughs> or where it is. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have regulars too. Um, there's a group that comes in for D and D every Friday, and uh, one of the guys in their group likes to cook. And they usually bring in food that we get to have, which is pretty cool. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Um, so wait, then, food is allowed in the store? Yes. Okay. Uh, generally, I tell people as long as it's not too messy. Mm -hmm. um, we have a soda fountain, and we sell some cookies. Uh, 
but otherwise we don't really have any food as of yet. Uh, so I'm I'm fine with people ordering pizza or bringing in whatever. When people then are playing the games that you have as part of your demo library, you're letting them have drinks on the table. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember your rule at your house time of no drinks. <laughs> that would drive me batty, Mike. Like I can't. I, I it's the one like I'm super. I, I'm not uptight about any rules, or we can be loud. We can be here as late as they want, and we can play whatever. But the one thing that I just drives me crazy is putting drinks on the table. When I see that in a picture, that's <laughs> just. And I think that I've benefited from it over the years by never losing any board games to a spilled drink. Yep. Uh, Has, hasn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, well, you know it's going to. My, oh, Mike, I'm, I'm I, sure. yeah, I give you three months before at least one board game dies to a spilled drink. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the good news is the demo copies, uh, I get a pretty good deal on those. They're sold as not for resale. Mm -hmm. So to replace them isn't too bad. And I'm assuming I'm going to have to do that over time anyway, just from wear and tear. Sure. Now, prove me that I'm wrong. Your demo copies are just lame games that no one wants to play. Oh, no. It's all the everything you can imagine. We have uh, everything from Twilight Imperium, mm -hmm. although I don't know anyone who's going to play a six-hour game in a store. Uh, Rising Sun, it's all... Whoa, 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 that's a new one. See, there you go, yeah. Rising Sun. That All right. What's that doing in the library? Someone probably wants to buy that. <laughs> that's, well, like I said, I bought a, a not-for-retail copy that right. I sell for dirt cheap. So. Uh -huh. uh, one, of the best things, one of the best things about a demo library is not even for playing, but if someone's looking at a game and Hammond and Hawn, I can say, hey, come here, I can show you what's in the box. Oh, that'll get, yeah. Oh, that's yep. sneaky, Mike. That is sneaky. Right, right. Um, what uh, what is uh, in the demo library? Is there do you have a sense for what's seen the most use? Is there something that people gravitate towards? Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who dig out Catan. Ugh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> do you run them out of the store? Like, what isn't there a scene in High Fidelity where Jack Black runs someone out of the record store because he likes like John Denver or something? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't you shouldn't you run anyone out of the store who pulls Settlers of Catan down? I don't know. That's <laughs> kind of my uh i mean it's it's better than monopoly but not much yeah yeah so uh you could it, the copy could just go missing although you know it's a it's a perfect place for someone to play a gateway game because the stuff on the other side of the gate is right there surrounding them exactly yeah yeah uh, so let's talk about the, the the state of the industry what is selling these days and Kind of, I'm more curious about what what is not selling. Um, it's an interesting time right now. There's been so many new games coming out that mm -hmm. that's you know people keep coming in for the new game. Like, you know, I, I like I on the forum I've been posting new games coming out this week, uh, each week, and though a lot of those tend to be in short supply, so those sell really well. Um, Real quick, not, is that is that yeah. because they're smaller publishers? Uh, like, because I get the sense that there's a lot of new games, and a lot of times, I don't know if it's just me, I see publisher names that I don't recognize. Uh, or, or is it just uh, people play it safe when they're printing board games? I think it's more the latter. Um, okay. And a lot of newer companies, I mean, since it's very easy because of Kickstarter for new companies to create games, they don't really have a handle on the uh, manufacturing kind of supply chain and how long things take. Mm -hmm. You know, everything gets on a boat from China. So uh, prime example is like Everdell, which came out a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. It's of after the first shipment. There's been nothing, no new copies of the game yet. And I don't know when they're coming. So then uh, of, of the stuff that is something of the stuff that is out, is there anything that's come out that you're surprised that you still have that no one seems to want? 
Um, it's I mean it's it's very much a guessing game where I'm gonna order ten of these because I think it'll be popular, but mm-hmm. it comes out six months from now. Um, like we went pretty deep on the new uh, new Azul that just came out, and mm-hmm. it's selling it's selling well, but not anywhere near the numbers of the quantity I bought to start. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Azul uh, isn't that the one about making blankets? Uh, nope, that's Patchwork. Okay, what is Azul? Is that the stained glass one? Uh, the first Azul was these tile patterns. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. And the sequel is a stained glass one. Okay, it, it's very, like, tactile. It's got these, like, cool little uh, pieces, I seem to recall. Yep. Or, yeah, yep. yeah, well, yeah. Yep, and you have to fill in these patterns and score points based okay, on the right, patterns. Right. So. Uh, how many copies of that are you sitting on, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, I think we have maybe 15 of them right now. Oh, jeez, yeah, okay. You did go yeah. deep on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's something that you didn't go deep enough on? Uh, that game that came out recently the uh aztec one oh yeah yeah I, go ahead go ahead i want to hear you try to say the name teo to conan or something like that uh if you'd been if you'd had more conviction the way you said it i, I would have been sold <laughs> <laughs> but we only got a couple copies of that in and that's not back in stock and people ask for it all the time yeah yeah uh and you only got a couple copies in because you you didn't think it would do well or only a couple were available to be ordered uh, that is a situation based on when we opened versus when the pre-orders were due. Okay. So they usually have a cutoff. You need to say how many you want by X date, and that was the date occurred before we even opened. So basically, I got what I could. Now, how well do you actually know the games you're selling? How, are you, how much of a board gamer are you? Uh, I'm a board gamer, but at the rate games come out these days, it's hard to play them all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I do what I can. Um, you know, I've, I've played a fair number of new stuff, but there's so much coming out that I have not played yet that I want to. When when people come in, is it the sort of thing where they usually know exactly what they want? Or do you have people asking you, hey, what's good? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Like, do people expect you to know these new games? Um, the brand new ones, people tend to not expect it. And usually the ones looking, people looking for the brand new games are people hang out on BoardGameGeek all day anyway. Mm-hmm. So they, they know. Uh, but I do get people coming in saying, hey, what's a good game for this kind of person? Or do you have any recommendations for something we could play tonight? And those I can go to things that I've you know, I've played forever, depending on what they're looking for. What's the most common question you get? Is it something like, uh, you know, what's what's a good game for my kids? Um, no, it's usually it tends to be, you know, we're having a party tonight. What can we play? And then I'll usually get something out like code names. I was gonna. I knew you were gonna say that, Mike. Yep. You're so you're so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has has a Kickstarter helped or hurt or messed up what you're doing? I don't know yet. Um, there's a couple of Kickstarters I jumped in on on the retailer level, um, just as a way to try to get product a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, that game Welcome to Your Perfect Home. They're doing a second print run because the first print run was gone immediately and hasn't shown back up. What is that? Um, it's this weird... So you get this like pad of paper that shows a neighborhood, and you decide where lot lines are going to be and where you're building swimming pools, and it's basically a, a kind of an um, abstract scoring game. But it was, it was popular at Gen Con. Um, I played it once. People asked for it, though, so mm-hmm. I jumped in on the retailer level, which gets me six copies or more. And that's currently out? Like that's, or is that something you're waiting to ship? Uh, waiting to ship. Okay. The mm-hmm. Kickstarter either is ending soon or just ended. Okay. Right. Uh, and other other things on Kickstarter? Anything uh, grab your um, attention? I backed a game called Chai, which is a tea making game. Oh. Very tech, 
tactile little pieces. They even have uh, like 3D printed pieces you can try it out with. Look pretty mm-hmm. appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it so far in Kickstarter. Although I watch it pretty often. There's a lot of mini, a lot of minis games, which I'm apprehensive to jump. I was in about to play. ask you, what are your feelings about miniatures? Uh, we don't carry any games workshop. Um, most, of the, you know, we carry minis for like D and D, which sell really well. But minis, heavies, games are kind of a crapshoot. Uh, what, uh, what are, what's the difference between minis for D and D and minis for like Games Workshop? Well, D and D, it's the role playing group, right? Wants to have, I want to have, uh, you know, whatever little uh, characters for the people they're playing, or it's monsters they're fighting. Whereas Games Workshop would be, I'm um, painting this whole art, uh, unit of guys for playing on a big battle. I, I guess yeah, the Games Workshop things are their own. Things. Yeah. Now, you, you don't carry those because they already have their own retail presence, or you just chose Gaming Goat chooses not to? Uh, Gaming Goat chooses not to, although I have flexibility to do that if I wanted. Um, I've had a couple requests, but Games Workshop makes you dedicate a chunk of your store to them. Like, you have to have specific signage and stuff, which right. I don't want to do right now. Right, right. Uh, and, and these miniatures that people buy for D&D, are these uh, like the lead figures I would have used when I was a kid? Are they plastic? They're plastic these days. Okay. Um they're pretty. There's a new line from WizKids that came out uh, semi-recently last year or so. Um, they're actually pre-primed, so you don't have to prime them if you're going to paint them. And they're does doing it, some. Does that mean it's just got like a wash on it, or what is it? What is a it, pre-prime? It's uh, normally when you get a miniature, you have to spray it with something so paint sticks to it well. Okay. And these, however they manufacture them, they're ready to paint right out of the box. All right. Um, and because they're plastic, they're doing some cool things with uh, transparent plastic on them for like spell effects mm-hmm. so it might have a wizard with some little lightning bolts coming out of his hands and you paint them yellow but because the plastic is translucent you can kind of see through it and it looks really neat when it's painted yep i've got i've seen stuff like that on skylanders okay <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh is the so so overall kickstarter is just at this point just sort of another venue for you to secure games correct and not right. all kickstarters have a retailer level um, right, which is fine, and I can just get it through normal distribution channels. Um, but because of Kickstarter in general, there's there's so many games coming out these days. It's just amazing. Uh, is there anything that you were hoping to get by Christmas that looks like you're not going to? I don't think so. Um, we had a couple crazy weeks throughout <clears throat> November, um, but I think we got everything in stock that we were waiting for. And are things slow? So right now, you and I are recording December seventeenth. Are things slowing down? Are you getting a last-minute rush of, of holiday purchases? What's it like now? Oh, you're closed. Uh, you're, you're closed, or you're just not working? Uh, no, we're actually the store's open, so I have a full-time okay. manager because uh, I'm not always there because of right. my boring day job. Um, but it's been uh, it's been fairly busy. Uh, everyone's buying for Christmas. Um, obviously, Black Friday was big, uh, and then last weekend there was a big uh, Magic: The Gathering release, which got a lot of people in the store. Um, but it's it's been very busy. And uh, magic is still a big thing, I assume. Yep, 25 years later, uh, <laughs> we have uh, four display cases of singles we sell because um, we get a lot of people coming in to draft magic where they open new packs and go through the drafting process, play a game, and then they want to sell their cards because they don't want them anymore, mm-hmm. which then we in turn sell to others. So it's kind of a an engine that creates product to sell. Uh, are there any other... CCGs that are also doing well? Uh, Pokemon is still popular, believe it or not. Okay. Um, there's a b- decent following for Yu-Gi-Oh!, which we do not carry. 
Um, but mostly why, it's Mad. Why don't you carry Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, Yu-Gi-Oh has a, a interesting customer base. <laughs> I don't know what uh, that means. Tell me, it's, it's, I'm intrigued. It's, not, it, it, it's been out long enough that it's not all kids playing it, but it's I don't know some of the more uh, rougher kind of people that would come in, <laughs> as I've been told. I've never, you know, I've only met a couple of people like this. This is just what I hear from other owners <laughs> that they've had problems with. Anytime they have Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. And... Oh my, Mike, I'm imagining like roving bands of Yu-Gi-Oh thugs now. Well, I, <laughs> I, I actually heard a story about some guy who brought like a knife into the store once to a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. And, yeah. <laughs> wow, those are, sound like some bad hombres. Yeah, so I don't... <laughs> I, I still have uh, I've considered it, but right now, I mean, Magic is definitely where all the money is. So, just I, you know, hire a security guard to watch those Yu-Gi-Oh guys. <laughs> right. <and you'll> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to talk now with uh, about what you're playing and about specific board games. Uh, okay. So you, you said you're, of course, you've got limited time. What are the things? Actually, in what context do you play board games? Like, do you play with, with, with your family? Do you have a regular group? Do you play with your employees? How does Mike Pullman get board gaming time? So uh, typically, I try to game with uh, my wife and my sister and her girlfriend. Uh, we do that every other week. Um, we'll play board games. Uh, and then on the in-between weeks, I typically play role-playing games. I still play D&D every other week. Um, sometimes in store, I'll, uh, I'll grab a demo and play with a customer if there's time and we have multiple people in. Um, but typically in new games, I'll play with my wife, my sister, and her girlfriend. Uh, when you grab and play a demo, is it the sort of thing like, hey, let's look at this. I'm going to try to figure out the rules. Uh, usually it will be in the context of someone says, I'm interested in this game. And I'll say, you know, do you have a half hour? We'll set it up and I'll actually try to demo the game for them. But, but games be... that you already know? Correct. A game that I'm okay. familiar with. Because yep. I, I have to say, I think one of the worst ways to be introduced to a game is you and another friend sitting there paging through the rules trying to figure it out your first time like I, and i know people are well-intentioned when they do that but i think it is almost it is almost always a disservice to the game yeah and i would agree i i try to even when i get a new game for our group i'll you know study it and set it up by myself once and read the rules before i even right you know play it for real right so, uh, uh, what things are in rotation right now with uh, you and your wife and your sister and her girlfriend? What what kind of things are grabbing you guys' attention? Uh, lately, we've been working on uh, Betrayal Legacy, which is the legacy legacy version of Betrayal House on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried out Arboretum. Uh, we also like we play Terraforming Mars a lot, so that comes on the table quite often. Um, I think that's last time we played what we had out. What did you think of Arboretum? Uh, our rhythm is, it's a little interesting on how it works with having to keep cards in your hand versus what's on the table. So the strategy is a little, is, uh, makes it pretty Wait, I think I'm, scr- I'm thinking of the one where, oh, you know, I'm thinking of photosynthesis, dude. Or, oh, photosynthesis. I'm thinking of the one where the, the sun goes around the board and the trees of varying height, uh, compete yep. for sunlight. Right, okay. Yep. What is Arboretum, then? Arboretum is a card game, um, where there's these different species of trees, uh, numbered one through eight, and you're trying to play them out on your, uh, so you collect, draw two cards per turn, <clears throat> put some down, keep some in your hand, uh, and you're trying to make these essentially runs. Uh, they have to be ascending, you know, one, two, five, six. Um, and the trick is you need to hold cards back in your hand because whoever has the highest total of that corresponding tree gets to score them and no one else does. Okay, sure. Like, is, is that trick-taking, right? 
Or... It's trick-taking, but a little bit, it also is based on what's in your hand versus what's on the table. So everyone can see what you're trying to build up for points. And I can hold back a couple of cards in my hand as a spoiler to another player. Right. Because then they're not going to be able to score it. And I guess it's just got, like, lovely tree artwork on it. Of is course, that... yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, okay. Uh, Mike, I hate to tell you this, that, that sounds really boring to me. <laughs> I thought it was I, I okay. Just... It was, I grabbed it because we had a demo in the store and I wanted to try it. Is it, is it at least short? Yeah, it's a 20-minute okay. game. In that, I can deal with. Do you know of a, of a game? There's a guy named Senji Kanai who does Love Letter, and uh, one of his earlier games is called Chronicle. Do you know I that? Play, I do not know Chronicle. Love Letter I played. So uh, Love Letter, it's nothing like Love Letter, because Love Letter, I think the lesson he learned uh, with Love Letter, and he did this Lost Legacy series and Lovecraft Letter, is just have fewer cards and have them do really wacky interactions and, and that's how the game plays. Chronicle is a much more sort of staid trick-taking game that he made uh, that I've been playing lately, and it, it just breaks my head every time. And there are certain – like people who are good at things like, I guess, hearts or what – like people come in with these pre-existing card game skills that give them an unfair advantage in trick-taking games that I don't understand. Uh, so that's one of my problems too. It sounds like when you describe Arboretum, uh, like – People who can track math and remember cards would have an unfair advantage. Okay, uh, that's yeah, that's fair. Because <laughs> I just can't. I I'm terrible at remembering stuff like that. Um, yeah, my my wife is a highly competitive euchre player, so. Uh... Oh, see, exactly right. So it's unfair that she brings these skill. It's like basically playing a game of pickup basketball with a. Uh, uh, Kobe Bryant. I'm trying to do sports things there. <laughs> I can't. I don't know how well yep. I did. Yeah. Uh, what about Terraforming Mars? Tell me about uh, why you guys like that, how that's coming, going along. Uh, Terraforming Mars is, uh, I've played it maybe half dozen times now. Mm -hmm. It's it's a longer game, but I, I definitely like the subject matter. Um, I know you've posted, I just saw your review about the online one and lack of uh, drafting. Do you guys <laughs> play with drafting? Uh, not yet. We actually were going to try that our next time. Mike, uh, you haven't played Terraforming Mars yet then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a super. I, that's a super like idiosyncrasy for me. Is I I really feel like and I'm a zealot about this. That the game is dependent on drafting. That that's a big part of it. And some people don't want to because it adds an extra layer to the game. It definitely adds playing time. Uh, but I I just really think that the drafting adds a lot to it. Yeah. Now do you draft? I, do you mm -hmm. draft each uh, round or just at the beginning? Each round, each generation. Yep. Oh, you do. Okay. Yep. So you actually setup. don't draft at the beginning, but uh -huh. uh, partly because at that point you would have no information on what people are going to do other than their corporation choice. But as, since you're drafting each turn, uh, each drafting round, you have more information to take into account when you're deciding what to pass along or, or what to keep. Okay. Uh, and, and what I actually don't mind about the extra playing time uh, for me, a super important part of games that I want to bring to our group is uh, pacing, because I, we have some people that are slower than others, uh, and so round-robin games, especially with more players, I, I find can be problematic. Uh, when you have something like drafting, everybody's doing it at the same time. Uh, drafting, when people talk about adding playing time because of drafting, I think what they don't realize is it's playing time where everybody is doing something and participating. It's not playing time where people are waiting. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a, it, the drafting happens frequently. It's, it's a, every turn, and it's a very important part of the game. Um, that all sounds yeah. kind of like uh, how Seven Wonders plays out, where yes. you're passing it around and you can see what someone's doing. And... Exactly. It's exactly, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, 
Uh, do you know of a game? Richard Garfield recently like participated. He's the guy that did uh, one of the fellows who invented Magic the Gathering. He participated in Valve's Artifact. Uh, he also has this Keyforge thing. By the way, are you carrying Keyforge? We are. Keyforge is selling extremely well. Um, and is that even impossible to get? Like, if I was to walk into Gaming Goat in Denver right now, could I buy a Keyforge deck? I think we just ran out again yesterday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's, it's basically as much as I buy, it sells. So. And, and, and uh, that's... They, so, go ahead, sorry. And they, uh, they vastly underproduced the starter set, so um, that's been really hard to get, although you can play it with just decks. Uh, I was going to say, the starter set, you just get the little tokens that you use, and anything can be used for that, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. That's all you're really missing is um, like the damage tokens and the ember tokens. And at this point, I would think, like, who... I guess the starter set is more tuned to play the decks with each other, but I would think I, you know, I, I, I don't even want the starter based on the the structure of the game where each deck is unique. Why do I want a deck that everybody's got? Uh, well, the, the starter, the starter set? also has it has two set uh, pre-constructed uh, static decks, and then it has two random decks in it also. Oh well, now I want the starter set. Great, that, <laughs> right. thanks, Mike. <laughs> so that, that's Richard Garfield's other recent thing that his name is on. But do you know the other thing with his name? The third thing with his name on it these days. Do you know a game called Bunny Kingdom? I do not know Bunny Kingdom. You guys don't carry Bunny Kingdom. Bunny no. Kingdom, uh, just because of the the discussion about drafting, Bunny Kingdom is another great game for how it's always everyone's turn. Uh, because every turn is drafted, there's a there's a board. It's a super cute theming with these little bunny pieces, but it's really a crunchy territory control uh, and denial game uh, that has Richard Garfield's name on it. And I, you know, one the the woman who brought Bunny Kingdom over to our group, I was just like, I don't want to play a dumb game called Bunny Kingdom. And it had cute little bunnies, and you're trying to win carrots, and I just. I just have no desire to play it. But now that the moment she showed it to me, I was like, okay, I got to have my own copy of this. Uh, okay. And it, a lot of it is drafting, where each turn you are given a hand of cards, very seven wondersy, uh, okay. and you decide which ones do I want based on what everyone else is doing, which ones do I pass along. It's also surprisingly short. There's only four rounds. Um, but yeah, I swear by Bunny Kingdom being uh, a really good, very interactive, very well-paced uh, game with adorable okay. theming. So so I just looked at In fact, we do have it in the store. This is okay. a sign that your store is big when I don't know everything I have in the store. Well, and also that I think Bunny Kingdom is uh, – like I, I, I'd never heard of it. Like I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily got a lot of buzz. Or, uh, but yeah, I'm not – yeah, so – no, just just based on, based on its name, I would uh, just kind of visually skip over it as I was looking at the shelf. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. You would say, okay, that's some family thing for little kids. Right, right. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of which, I just bought, do you know of a game uh, from Plaid Hat called Stuffed Fables? I do. Uh, we have that actually on our demo shelf. I've heard it's good, but I haven't played it yet. <sighs> it's for kids, Mike. I had no idea. Like, I just somewhat, I'd heard that it was a really cool a co-op game, and I think of co-op as I love playing co-op games solitaire, where you control all the characters. And I I picked it up because I like what Plaid Hat is doing. The the whole selling point that each page of a big old book is a different board sounded really cool. But it is so kid oriented. Uh, the the little the characters are called Fluffies, and your hit points are your stuffing, your little stuffed animals running around in a Toy Story universe. Uh, but I love the idea of it, but it's like like Bunny Kingdoms I would look at and think that's for kids. I want no part of it. 
uh, and in fact it is for everyone, Stuffed Fables, I look at it and I think, oh, that's really intriguing. I play it, and it's like, oh, it's just for kids. It's a kiddie game. Oh, even the uh, gameplay is for kids? Well, it, there, there's enough there that I actually don't regret buying it, but uh, the tone is strictly, it's so kiddie. Uh, and the gameplay is pretty accessible. There's stuff there. It's basically allocating dice, making hard choices about dice you roll and what to do with them. Okay. Uh, but uh, the tone is just so insufferably kiddie. Uh, so, Stuffed Fables, if if you're under 12, great game. Yeah. <laughs> so do you ever play, you guys ever play legacy games? You know, uh, we 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 went through a Charterstone. Wait, is that what oh. it's called? Yeah, yep, Charterstone, the Stonemeyer Games thing. Uh, and I have played Solitaire Pandemic Legacy Season Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the weird thing for us for Legacy games, and it sounds like you and and your your wife and and her sister and girlfriend don't have this issue. Our group is really inconsistent about who shows up when. Yeah. So the problem with a legacy game is, and we got hung up for the longest time getting through Charterstone for this, uh, is it's hard to dump someone into the middle of other people's legacy games. Yeah, it um, tends to work best when you have a static group. Yeah, and yeah. I love the idea of them, so uh, it's not necessarily by choice that we don't. Uh, it just doesn't always work out. Is there is there a legacy game you're in the middle of? Uh, Betrayal Legacy. Oh, yeah, you mentioned uh, that. Right, right. Yep. Which, is, which is excellent. Uh, we're three games in, and... It's nice to not just have it be like Pandemic, where it's just, you know, the co-op game with some stuff bolted on. It's, you know, because of the whole trader mechanic and the random stories, they do some really cool things. All right, I want to tell you my issue with Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Did I even get Uh the name right? Yes. Yeah, because I confuse it with House on the Haunted Hill. Yeah, okay. Uh, I I love the concept that it starts out as a co-op game, and at a certain point it's going to flip, and there's going to be a competitive element added. Mm -hmm. Uh, My issue with it, uh, and for our group, we have some people who are su- – su- like we have a literal – we have two literal rocket scientists who join us, uh, and they are machines when it comes to absorbing gameplay and managing the math. And then we have other casual folks who are just there for the theming and some who are just there c- to kind of hang out for, for the social element. So we have all kinds of different – and it's not necessarily intelligence. It's just different intellectual investment in rules, people. Uh, and Betrayal at the House on the, the Hill is contingent on, at a certain point, someone having to kind of learn a new game or a new gameplay mechanic or a new rule set. And it's random who that is. Uh, so my concern – and we've actually never tried it. I should probably just – give it a shot my concern is one of the guys who's less invested who's only there to just sort of goof around and have a fun time and go along with everyone else he doesn't want to be handed a, a set of rules that he now has to drive against everyone else uh well that's I, my concern is that that would happen and that that would alienate or that that would make someone not have fun because oh now i've got to be the traitor and i've got to, i've got these special ghost rules i have to learn um and i can't ask anyone questions because then they'll know what i'm doing right uh, so i don't know how how uh viable a concern that is but just what little i know about that game that's one of the reasons i haven't looked into it so yep. can you reassure me about that or is that an issue uh it's a potential issue depending on the scenario some of them are more you know some are just go kill the other players right but some are go around here and collect these things, but the other team doesn't get to know what you're doing. So that's where it gets tricky when you can't ask for help mm-hmm. because uh, then they would have information that they're not supposed to. 
And what is uh, what is the how does the legacy element added to this? So um, in the original game, you have this stack of tiles for the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you start with a small stack, and as it goes on, that gets bigger and bigger. Um, you add in more items to the decks, uh, more events. And then the trader mechanic tends to be predetermined uh, rather than just strictly random. So if you're in the third chapter of this game, this is what's going to end up happening, or one of these three things. Uh, and then they have this book where you go read this narrative thing to everyone, and it says, you know, if you're in this room, start this haunt, or in this room, this other haunt. Uh, and then the story is kind of ongoing between um, games. Uh, but they do it instead of the same characters each game. It's each uh, each player has a family. So it might oh. take place 20 years later and you're playing the daughter of your predecessor. And, and I guess that also means you can die and not lose a character. Like the idea is that characters can get killed? Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then, okay. uh, you know... If your character survives, you have the option of using the same character, just aged whatever appropriate increment, or say you know, you're a descendant of them. Um, but you're kind of building up this family uh, story over time. And then what they do is all the items in the game, at least the powerful ones, have a space for a sticker. So let's say you draw this crossbow, uh, and you're the first person to get it. You can say, oh, this is my family's heirloom crossbow. So I put my little family sticker on it, and then whenever I have this card as opposed to anyone else in any future game, its abilities are better. How well would this work if you had new people being dropped in or people – like can you have – can you rotate families in and out, or would you have to do the sort of thing where someone is playing someone else's family? You'd have to – there's five family cards, so okay. they would essentially be a new character on an existing family. But all the stickers and stuff that changed it would just apply to them as they came in. They'd say, oh, I'm in this family. It's been you know, in our family forever, so I get better abilities. But so it each... sounds like it might work then to have someone play in a pre-existing family. Like it's, What you're describing sounds to me like it would address the problem in Charterstone where I come in in the 10th scenario and someone has built up this little economic engine that I don't understand and that I could mess up when I make changes to it. And it's the game is random enough that I think you'd be fine. And it's not like um, Pandemic Legacy where, you know, I figured out that this is the way I shuttle cards around to the other players. Uh, each time you're kind of starting fresh other than these things that were left behind from predecessors. Uh, and is it like uh, Charterstone is very clearly a fixed, hey, you play these 12 scenarios and then you've unlocked your own worker placement game. Is Betrayal uh, Legacy more like Pandemic, like you play this many scenarios and then you, you've you have nothing else to do with it? Uh, after you finish the campaign, it essentially turns into the more traditional version of um, Betrayal where it's all randomized. Right. Uh, but you still have all your family heirlooms and stuff are still in the, in the game. Is there any sort of a nonsense app tie-in? Nope. It's all done with cards. Um, there's this deck of cards at the end of the game. It'll say, go find card 206 and add it to the item deck. Um, but it's all uh, all just pieces. And Mike, you might have just cost me some money today. <laughs> it's, I, I'm really enjoying it. I've played several of these legacy games. I've played Risk, uh, both Pandemics. I've not played Charterstone. Um, this is the best implementation I've seen of the legacy mechanics so far. All right, hold on. Let's see how much did you cost me. Okay, yeah, 60 bucks. Nice work. I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it was partly just because I uh, – so interestingly enough, my only familiarity with Betrayal at House on the Hill, which I'd heard about for a long time, was playing it at this game house place I was describing to you uh, mm-hmm. with – a couple of other people who also didn't know how to play it, and we were doing that whole thing about let's look up the rules as we go. The guy who ended up being the traitor was the guy who really didn't want to be there in the first place. So I, I think that sort of polluted my my original experience with it. But looking at this, I'm super curious now. Yeah, yeah. and it's done by um, his name Rob Davio who does all these legacy games. So okay, I have a bone to pick with Rob Davio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I actually know that I've talked to the guy a couple of times and I, I really respect what he does. But there's a game that uh, I bought called uh, V Wars. Wait, is it called V Wars? It might actually be called Vampire Wars. No, I think V Wars. Uh, and V stands for vampire. And it's uh, it's a, a it starts as a strategy game where you are controlling populations on a map of the world. But some of the players are secret vampires, and they have vampire powers that they can reveal and use, and then they can try to convert other people. And this all plays, unlike a lot of trader games, at a, a nas- at a global level where you play a corporation controlling armies and populations, and you're trying to get laws passed. And it sounded really cool, and I bought it, and it was one of those things that I think they just – a quick and dirty, throw it together. Don't worry about balance issues. Don't answer any rules questions on Board Game Geek. Uh, they just threw it out there, and I, I think it has serious issues with how the trader mechanic works. So I, I kind of crossed my arms and said harumph to Rob Davio after that one because his name was on it, and I don't know how much he actually participated in the design of it. But uh, maybe this will be my chance. This will be Rob Davio's chance to redeem himself for me. Okay. Yeah, and I, I've been happy with his uh, stuff he's doing with Restoration Games. What's um, that? What is Restoration so Games? They're bringing back old 80s games and kind of remaking Oh, like that them. Fireball Island thing. Yep. yep yeah. That's another, I played that recently, too, and they did a remake of Stop Thief and Downforce. And the next one they're doing is a new version of Dark Tower. To his credit, you can't very – like, it's not like uh... – like Mark, uh, Rob Davio has his fingers in so many different kinds of games that you can't very well say, I don't want to play Rob Davio games anymore because right. there's so many different types. It's like that uh, Vatsav Chavadal guy. Right. Like, I, I hate some of his games, but then he has so many different kinds of games that I can't say, oh, I don't like Chavadal games because some of them I do and some of them are great and they're all so different from each other. <laughs> right, it's exactly. like Coen Brothers movies almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they do such different things. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, I did mm-hmm. play Fireball Island, which mm-hmm. is uh, I played that with the kids. Very tactile game. I had started that actually. It's like a marble uh, rolling thing, right? Yep, yep. It's fun. I mean, it's there's nothing. It's not deep or anything, but it's it's fun to watch marbles roll down and knock people over. Mm-hmm. Are there any flicking games that you have played and aren't ashamed of playing? <laughs> um, I played Pitch Car before. That's the racing game. It's French. You flick a little disco car on the track. And you're, you're flicking little cars. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, and, and was that a complete waste of time? It was okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work to set up. There's actually a Star Trek game coming out called, you're going to love this name, Conflict in the Neutral Zone. Oh, no. You made that up. That can't I be did true. Not, oh, my I, God, Mike. Oh. When, I, when I first saw that, I thought it was a typo. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow. Are there any good Star Trek board games? Hmm. Oh, Star- I like Star Trek Ascendancy, which is kind of a, um, a 4X kind of a expand and build a, your armies 
you can win both through diplomacy or cultural influence. Or oh, yeah, yeah, like super asymmetry, right? Like super yep. asymmetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did have a friend show me that. And it comes with a – is it one of those things where they're trying to sell you different factions or does it come complete? It comes with three. comes with uh, Klingons, Romulans, and Federation. And then they have since added on a couple others like uh, okay. Frankie, which try to win just through uh, just through financial um, – I think they added one others, and then there's a, a Borg add-on that is like a an NPC race that you fight against. Oh, so it would be like co-op? Uh, it's you're still fighting each other, but there's this okay, uh, AI, you know, quote unquote AI controlled uh, one that you're fighting against too. Is that a big publisher? Do you know who publishes it? Um, it's from Gale Force Nine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. I've been I've actually been very pleasantly surprised at some of the stuff they've done with uh with licenses that I would otherwise assume. This isn't going to be any, any good. But like their Firefly game, I love. Yeah. Uh, and I don't uh, even know Firefly, but I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, the Star Trek game is pretty good. Um, if you buy the base set, it you have to have three players. You can't play it two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as you add the more races, you can have more players. So up to five at a time, I think, right now. Is the idea, though, that you can swap in the Ferengi for the Klingons? Or, yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, okay. Right. But you need at least three. Right. Fortunately, Mike, I'm not into Star Trek at all, so the theming isn't going to grab me on that one. Yeah. Uh, but the asymmetrical... Uh, factions in a strategy game, that sort of thing I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, what things do you plan on trying? Like, are there things that you have queued up to show your group? Um, trying to think what's come out lately. You mentioned uh, uh, Arboretum. Do you know yep. of a game called... And I actually... I don't think it's new, but I know they did a Kickstarter recently for an expansion. Do you know a game called Petricor? I do not know Petricor. Petricor, and it was sold to like I, I I got it on the strength of the unique concept, uh, and it's really cute. But it, it's one of those games where you have to really think a couple of turns ahead. It, it's it's just a real brain burner. But the theming is just so unique and adorable. In Petricor, you play um, rain clouds. And oh. what you're trying to do is drop water on different types of crops and harvests and natural plants, which are, are just scoring gimmicks. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're driving these rain clouds around, dropping your tile, your your little beads that represent raindrops onto different tiles to activate different scoring gimmicks. And there's a lot of elbowing, trying to push other people around and trying to hijack other people's clouds. Uh, but it's a really adorable, like weather based game in which you literally play as different raindrops. Uh, and I just love, you know, like things like photosynthesis. I love that kind of unique theming. That's not, you know, ancient Egyptians fighting each other, or Rome, or orcs and dragons. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that and, sounds cool. Yeah, and Petrichor is actually, and it says this on the cover of the box, I otherwise wouldn't have known, it's an actual word that describes the smell after a rain. Uh, it's called a Petrichor, so that's that's the wow. name of the game. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that uh, that smell had a name. I didn't either, yeah. And uh, <laughs> their, their expansion adds uh, flowers and uh, bees. <laughs> which I thought was really cute. So um, I do want to try uh, the new Plaid Hat game, Gen 7. Yeah, is... what is that? So it's just another Crossroads game, right? Right. So the first Crossroads game was uh, Dead of Winter. Mm-hmm. So that's where you have the deck with uh, narrative stuff that might trigger as you're playing. Uh, this is a little more sci-fi themed. As you're playing, there's a narrative deck uh, that a player holds onto as you're playing your turn, and there might be a trigger uh, that's... You know, when a player does this, uh, read this scenario to them, and then typically there's a binary or uh, three-way choice of something they can do that affects uh, the game somehow. 
And and this is just uh, instead of zombie apocalypse, it's just sci-fi. What else sets it apart from Dead of Winter? It's sci-fi, and uh, for some reason, costs significantly more, and I'm not sure why. I, I, I did notice that. I, is it is it miniatures in there, or what are they doing to to make it a hundred dollar game? Yeah. There's there's some minis, and it looks like there's a lot more cards than Dead of Winter had, which is surprising because Dead of Winter had quite a few. It did, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, but this thing has a MSRP of a hundred bucks. Yeah. So uh, I'm, Mike, Mike, I'm, I'm I, curious. I, I hate minis so much, though, that any time I. I like that's a that's a negative for me is anytime I realize there's minis in something I, I sort of feel like that's just a way to inflate the price because I'm almost I've, I I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say this confidently let me know if I'm wrong I don't think there's any game that uses minis that needs them. Uh, I suppose you could always have something else stand in for the minis. <laughs> I mean that that's part of what what board games do is they'll abstract things with pieces or tokens. Um, I guess well, so there are some that that artificially make the minis significant. Uh, do you know a game called Lords of Hellas? I think it might have just been a Kickstarter thing. Uh, actually, I just got that in the store this week. Huh. I have not not played it though. Well, that's got these big ass minis in it, and they're not even minis. And the idea is that they represent. Uh, temples to the gods that you build, and they're built over successive turns by different players. So each mini breaks into five different pieces, and you put the bottom piece down at one point, and then later on someone will build the second piece, and eventually, like, Athena's head gets put on her. So they're minis that actually convey information rather than just marking a spot. Uh, yeah, that sounds kind of cool, at least. Yeah, <laughs> from, yeah. Uh, visually. And Unfortunately... Looks, they're just like gray slabs, like they're unpainted, and I guess, you know, what are you going to do? But on a board that's got like nice artwork and different colored pieces and cards, to just have this big old gray piece of plastic just right there in the middle of the board, uh, it kind of looks, it, it's ugly, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at Gen 7 here, and it actually doesn't look like it has minis, just more pieces. Oh. It has, has a big spiral bound book, which apparently has narrative stuff that you read, which is unlike uh, Dead of Winter. Yeah, but, Dead of Winter, they were all on cards. So that's right. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that's oh. is, is that the extra price? That's kind of that's crazy. All right. Maybe, maybe they just want to charge more. <laughs> yeah, it could be right. Right. Yeah. Is, is there really? Uh, is it? It sounds like there's not much of a profit margin on board games. Is that the case? Um, there. So, even, without telling you exact prices, um, selling things thirty percent off, I'm still making money on it. Okay. Uh, not you know huge amounts but you can sell 30 percent off everything and still make a profit okay good yeah yeah uh you play D D. I do i've been playing D D since uh i got my first set in uh third grade back in 1984 mm -hmm. <laughs> i've been playing ever since so i i'm like you but i gave up when i uh i think in graduate school uh what is D D like now uh, so I've played all of the editions. Um, mm -hmm. We're on fifth now, which uh, I've been pretty happy with. Um, unlike a game like Pathfinder, it's kind of taken a step back on mechanics and done a little more abstraction, made it a little more simpler to kind of get out of the way of the narrative, which I appreciate, mm -hmm. especially as I'm getting older and have less time. Um, I mean, there's still plenty of numbers to crunch on and you know combats uh, to go through and roll your dice and all that. But um, And believe it or not, D&D is gotten extremely popular recently um i was actually at a birthday party for one of my daughter's friends uh, a few weeks back 
and one of the other um, one of the moms there was telling me about how she bought a starter set to play with her kids and it's i had to kind of do a double take because <laughs> dnd has been the closet hobby my whole life you don't you don't tell people you play dnd but now <laughs> now everyone plays it i do love the idea though of a parent playing with uh, her children like that yeah. seems like such a great uh, milieu like such a, a great context for that kind of play i, I yep. think yeah but it's, uh, it's... I think right. um, mm-hmm. things like Stranger Things might have helped it get some popularity. Ah, you know? sure, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, are you a DM or a player? Uh, I rotate. Um, I haven't DM'd in a while, but actually just started doing a, a new campaign for our group um, where I am DMing. And is it something that you've written, or you, is it a, a campaign you've bought? Uh, one I bought. I don't, okay. I don't have time to write things. I was going to say, yeah, like if, you, if, you're, if you're worried about time constraints, that whole like actually making a campaign, that's, that's almost like writing a novel in a way. Right. Yeah. yeah, and these days the published campaigns are, are fairly good, and you know they last a year if you're playing every other week. So. Right, right. And they're like, they're like legacy games, I guess. Yeah, in yeah. a way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Mike, I'm super glad that you've done this. And I love those, uh, even though they've uh, been fairly expensive for me, I love those new games threads that you're posting uh, because it, it's the equivalent of looking at a shelf of new games because you just post the artwork with the name of it. Like you let the game's artwork and title speak for itself. You know, the marketing that the publishers have put into making this box – and a lot of those, I'm like, wow, that looks cool. But then I read about it, and I'm like, okay, that's not for me. Uh, but it's super fascinating that you're putting those up every week. And it also makes me realize the crazy pace at which new stuff comes out. Right, and I'm only getting, you know, I don't get everything because, you know, anything very miniatures heavy or thing that we're not sure about, I might care later. Uh, example of that is that new Quacks of Quiddleberg game. I don't know if you've heard of that. <laughs> What are you it's even some, saying? You're talking baby talk now. It's some ridiculous <laughs> game about ducks and some. I don't know. Supposedly, it's really good. Well, you know, I, I, after me me championing bunny kingdoms, <laughs> I've got no room to talk. So yeah. <laughs> but let's, for an example, that's something we didn't carry at first because I didn't think it was going to be popular, and everyone's asking for it, so now we got it. Right. Good. And and so what the pictures you're posting are only the things you're getting in. Yep, that's stuff that I find out from my distributors that are coming in new that week. Wow, wow. Well, keep it up because I love seeing, uh, you know, it's a because if you just go to Board Game Geek and look at hotness, you know, most of the stuff up there is just some cool new Kickstarter that's not going to be out for another year. Uh, but I love this idea of, hey, here are the things that are available now. Um, yep. So keep keep it up, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for talking to me. And uh, have you bought anyone board games for Christmas gifts? Of course I have. What games are you giving? Actually, can you say? Uh, you know what? You're, no one's. I better gonna... not say. Really? Okay. You know, pe- people who may would be receiving them may be listening. So. Actually, you know, I'm thinking of the same thing because I, I also did the same thing for the Secret Santa deal and probably shouldn't say that either. Uh, board games do make great gifts, though. They yeah. do. Yeah. So. Well, Mike, thank you for talking to me today. Uh, best of luck with the store. It's Gaming Goat. It is in Denver. Uh, I I I love that you're doing this, uh, and I hope it does well for you. Yeah, thank you so much.